0: All right. All right. Welcome to Raise the Bar, the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. My name is Troy Haynes and I'm your host, um, former UCLA high jumper. And um, now I just uh, work with athletes, uh, great and small, tall and tall and small. um, And uh, we are trying to find the best ways to jump higher, farther, faster and better. And, um, my guest today is uh, Dario. I, I I did not ask how to say your last name. Is it Saison? How do you say that?
1: Yeah, English version is probably Saison. Saison. Saison.
0: Okay. And uh, Dario is, uh, we're going to let Dario explain exactly what he does with you guys. Um, I first saw Dario's feed on my Instagram, and I saw him doing uh, incredible work with uh, plyometrics and uh, rehab and joint stability work and uh, all those things are uh, points of interest for us here on Raise the Bar and uh, I asked him if he'd like to be a guest and he graciously accepted so here he is say say hi to everybody Dario.
1: Hello everyone I'm <laughs> looking forward to chat with you a little bit.
0: Absolutely and uh, so he's you're all the way in Vienna? yeah Vienna. Wow. So we're, uh, we're, we found out today by mistake that we're nine hours apart and not eight because <laughs> I, I told him it was eight o'clock and I thought I looked it up on my phone and that we were eight time zones apart. And it turns out we're nine. So poor Dario was waiting for me an hour ago and uh, we just, he, he got back and did some other things. And I got back in touch, said it's eight o'clock. And so we did end up getting it right. So fortunately we're here and ready to go now. Um, I was asking Dario, and I'll just ask again, um, what was it that, uh, that got you started in in this business?
1: Well, uh, like most strength coaches, uh, they're either not athletic enough or they they get injured, lose all their athleticism, and try to get it back. Uh, for me, it was the latter. So when I was 17, I tore my ACL five days before a championship game, um, right after I learned how to right after I found out that you can actually enhance athleticism in the weight room. Um, and so I tore my ACL, uh, did the, got the surgery. I started rehab. I was rehabbing with a physio out of my town for three months. And after three months, I was like, like something intuitively told me that that's not enough. That's not what's going to get me ready for a sport again. So, cause we were doing, all we were doing is squats, deadlifts, three, to, three by 12, four by 12, all in the same workouts. Um, So I basically quit on my physio after three months of rehab and I took matters into my own hands, started reading, started gathering information, doing my own research. And then I actually started an Instagram before I even was a coach. So that was my first mistake. But (laughs) then I had to catch up on a lot as I learned that there are other coaches out in this world who know a lot more than me, uh, which humbled me. So the Dunning-Kruger effect hit me really hard. And then I just put my head down started learning. And fast forward two and a half years later, I'm here on the podcast speaking to you.
0: Awesome. Um, So you you said championship game. What what sport were we playing at that time? Uh, Basketball. And I still play basketball. You still play basketball. So um, over in Vienna, how does that work? Here in the United States, we've got Youth League Basketball, then the kids will play, um, their local high schools, they'll play there, but they also will play club, you know, and there's big clubs that get them ready. And, uh, you know, everybody knows who the big, big players are, and they get recruited to go to the big colleges. Right. And then they'll stay however many years they're going to stay. We're back. I think the NBA changed the rules this year where they're going to allow kids to jump straight from high school into the pros again, the way mm-hmm. Kobe and, uh, you know garnett did way back in the day so it's it's a well-oiled machine over here but what, what's it like over there with you guys
1: uh in europe there isn't really high school sports like that they're like just fun teams at school but if you want to do any sport play any sport you got to sign up at a club and pay for it first there are of okay. course academies too where you have two practices a day instead of one um and so you go basically from u10 under 10 till under 19 and after your third year of under 19 you either enter the the local league the um we call it country league um or you enter the state league the uh league super league okay. so in austria austria is just two leagues so we have the local league and then you have the second league and the first league first league is already uh, professional but the payment isn't really that well. Austria is more of a country where you come here, play one season, and try to get go somewhere else,
0: travel somewhere else, get get into a different league. I know there's all kinds of, of different um you know leagues over there, countries and and whatnot, right? Professionals, yeah. um, and then yeah, it's so it's so interesting to to really delve into that because you know you almost barely know how it works over here, and then you know basketball I think is has grown internationally way bigger than than anything else like football has been trying right the NFL does their game in Europe every week and but and it's it's not taken off over there you know nobody really wants cares about football over there American football but you know basketball when it went international you know and and you know when the NBA really started to to climb and they, they really started trying to expand the game into other countries. It just, it took off, you know? And, and I think for various reasons, similar to soccer in my estimation is, you know, soccer is even easier. You need a ball and a ball can be anything from a rolled up wad of tape to, you know, whatever. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be a soccer ball. You know, people will be very inventive. You know, you go to a local park and put two trash cans up, you got a goal and uh, you know, on one side. So, soccer is easy to do you you could run around barefooted if you wanted to you know you don't need any equipment right you just need an open space and two goals and right on the beach. yeah and then basketball is the same you know you do need a couple of hoops but you know if you got one you can play half court right so it's simple and you know people love it and it's competitive and it's it's been great over here in the states because there's so many great basketball players from around the world and the nba will find them <laughs> you know if you're if you're good there, you'll end up over here playing for millions of dollars. So, um, it's, it's interesting to hear that from the other end. So, so you started out in basketball and then you, you tore your ACL. Now you were telling me before we had a brief chance to talk that, um, you, when you found out, uh, not just, you know, posing lifting, you know, for the girls at at the beach, but that, that the lifting could enhance your, your skills, right. Make you quicker, make you faster, you could jump higher, um, which all of those things are obviously a boon in any athletic endeavor, but especially basketball. You know, um, once you found that out, you you went whole hog, and this is where you you caught my ear, especially because you know that first time I remember in in uh, in 1986 was my senior year at UCLA, and P- plyometrics was just starting to become really popular. I don't remember. I, I think that was the first time I heard that term, even, and I was I was a kinesiology major at UCLA, you know, and I, I'm sure I have been doing what you would call plyometrics since I was in in high school. You know, we used to do hurdle bounds, and you know, we would do one legged jumps up the stadium steps, you know, repeats all the way to the top, and stuff like that, which I would I would call plyometric at this point. So. You know, we did those, but when I got to UCLA, we really went crazy with, you know, boxes and, you know, uh, putting, having people pull you on elastic bands towards something and then jump, you know, and just, you know, and, and like you, I, I went, it was my senior year and I was lifting heavy and I was, I was doing the plyos and I could feel the benefits, right? I could feel the, the spring. So that was my best year. I jumped two meters 22, my senior year. And, uh, with about three weeks left to go in the season, all of a sudden, man, I got up one morning and I swear, Dario, I felt like I was an 85 year old man. Like my knees were aching bad, you know, and my shins were starting to bug me. They hadn't bugged me since high school. And I was like, what is going on? And, you know, it was like, I went to see the trainers and they're just like, yeah, you look like you've got uh, patellar tendonitis in both knees, you know, like What I got what? You know, it was like, and you know, looking back at it now with all the experience that you and I have in this area, it's like, well, you overtrained. You know, you told me that. You go, I just went whole hog and you're having so much fun and you're getting better and better and better. And it's like over here in the States when you're taking supplements or something, right? And you go, Well, if a little bit is good, then a lot is better. So I'll just overload on it and Man, I got to that place and it was at the worst time, you know, right at the biggest meets, you know, like you're saying, you're getting ready for a big game and all of a sudden you're out. And, you know, I had that same experience. It was like, man, I couldn't train. I had to back off on my training, which really messes with your brain because now you're thinking I'm going to be weaker and slower. And, you know, so tell us a little bit about that. How did once once you had the uh, leading up to the injury and then and then how you came back from it?
1: Well, uh, so (laughs) my whole rehab process started off really bad, badly. Uh, First off, I had to wait two months for my surgery Mm -hmm. because I didn't, uh, because here in Austria, you don't have to pay for surgeries and and healthcare in general. But if you do, you have benefits. So I didn't pay for it because I didn't want to pay a couple thousand bucks at the age of 17. I didn't have that money. Uh, So I had to wait two months. Then, like one week before the surgery, I was getting ready for it uh, mentally. I get a, I get a letter from the hospital saying, "Yeah, my doctor went on vacation, so I have to wait another two weeks." Oh. So then, in the middle of the summer, I get uh, I get my surgery. I start rehab with a physio. Three months later, I quit on my physio, um, and then I what I did the day after I quit on my physio. I started reading uh, high performance training for sports. So then I figured out, okay, if I want to, if I want to get back, I need to get strong first. So then I went crazy on heavy lifting for about a year. Um, then after a year, I came, I came about the concept that you can't be lifting heavy all the time. So then I completely took out the heavy lifting and I went plyometrics only plyometrics for four to six weeks uh that went well for two weeks or so uh my athleticism increased but that was mostly because fatigue subsided right so then my knee started boggling me again i was like a pain on the inside of my knee my knee would lock up i couldn't extend it or flex it uh, until i shake it back in into place so then uh that was about one year and three months after my surgery and then i would move to vienna so i'm from carinthia originally and then i moved to vienna to study sports science um sports science by the way is here is like kinesiology exercise science all of it together okay out here um so i moved there and in vienna there is there was a single gym like in austria in, in general a single gym that did athletic performance which was called RAVO, which stands for Research Athletes World. Um, And the coach there, the founder of that, he offered to mentor me. And then I started working with him. I learned a ton from him in terms of periodization, exercise selection. He introduced me to critical thinking and all those important concepts that you have to wrap your head around as a young coach. Mm -hmm. And he started me off with a group of soccer players, and he just threw me right into the cold water mm-hmm. uh, so I, so I would figure it out by my by myself on the field, and yeah that's awesome journey
0: so wow you you mentioned a lot of stuff in in a flyby there so um the the terms that jumped out to me when you talked about periodization um what now my brain when I hear that I think you know uh for instance over here i I do a twelve week cycle you know, with, with the athletes where we'll go and, you know, for four weeks, start off with the base program, right. They're lifting, they're doing all their stuff is kind of uh, would say on the spectrum of intensity would be lower, you know, less weight, more reps. Like you were talking about the guy having you do three sets of 12 and four sets of 12, you know, forever. And you're, you got bored and you weren't feeling like you're going anywhere. So we're only going to stay in that for like, four weeks, maybe, you know, five sets of eight on squats or, you know, whatever, you know, four sets of 10 of this or that. Right. And I would usually try to get my kids to be going full range of motion if we can, you know, during that time, you know, now for a high jumper and a basketball player, like, you know, you know, I don't necessarily need, although basketball is a little different than high jumping. I don't need that leg to bend that far for the Mm -hmm. most part, you know, like high jumpers when they come to put their foot on the ground, They really don't want to have the knee bent too deep because it's going to take too long to get off the ground, you know, unless they're an incredible power jumper and they can just, you know, jump straight up in the air and and do what they got to do. For the most part, the speed guys are going to come in and not bend that knee so much. So what I would have them do then after four weeks of the base stuff going full range of motion is start to go maybe half squats, right? And doing instead of power cleans from the floor, doing hand cleans, you know, so you're not bending as much, right? And then go four weeks of that and then, you know, you get to where you're doing jump squats and quick explosive, you know, maybe even still heavier and the sets are getting smaller the whole time. Right. So I want to hear from you because I'm I know the the vacuum that I'm operating in, because I think I took one class one time for my uh, exercise science uh, master's degree. I got at Cal State Long Beach and we talked about some of those concepts but i've i never had really uh had anybody sit down and literally walk me through you know one like like what you're talking about so when you when you're talking about periodization what is it that you mean as far as say take for instance your your soccer guys that you're going to train what would you be doing with them like how long would the program be and how would you break it down uh, well soccer is kind
1: of a, a special deal here in austria because they barely have off-seasons at all. If they if they have an off-season, it's two to maybe four weeks, so they don't mm-hmm. really have off-seasons like that. But I do have big off-seasons with my basketball players. So okay. Let's do basketball, basketball.
0: instead because that actually does work better with, with me. Like I said, I recruit them to high yeah. jump all the time. So, yeah, go ahead. So
1: with basketball players, uh, it depends on how far they get with their team in the season, but mostly uh, preseason starts – Mid August, beginning of September, and season goes until around April, mid May, and if they get really, really far, end of May. Right. So most of the times I have like three, two to three months with them every single off season. Um, mostly it's it's twelve to fourteen weeks around that. Um, and what I do with them is I basically do it for thr- a triphasic program um and i start with an aerobic phase two to three weeks of just building aerobic endurance um building that base um, increasing oxygen availability in the muscles um capillary density so i do uh, circuit training i call them glute circles where they basically get 40 exercises and they go 30 seconds on fifty sec- 15 seconds off and it's basically full body, three times a week. Um, and if they're advanced, I'd go two times a week, of circle, a gl- glute circle like that. And the other two days, i do one by 20. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with one by 20. Uh, no. Uh-uh. Uh, one by 20 is basically you take a weight that you could barely do 20 good-looking reps with. And... You may take short rests in in in, um, in the sets, but you try to go 20 reps uh, in one go. So it builds a um, crazy amount of um, just work capacity and technique, especially with uh, more no- novice athletes. Okay. So after my quick phase, I go straight into the classic eccentric, isometric, concentric um, phases that I got from Kel Deeds. Uh, so it's not complete block periodization where I just go uh, just aerobic endurance and then just strength. It's undulating. So I always have my plyos present at just lower intensities and slightly lower volumes. Right. Um, You could also call it a more vertical integration where we always have every stimulus present. We're always training fast. That's the most important part. If I have an eccentric, isometric and concentric phase going on with an athlete, it doesn't mean that 80% of their program is going to be heavy strength. It's, it's just going to mean for me that the, the, the main lift is going to focus on either one of those qualities, but the rest of the program is still going to be fast because I also don't want to be taken away from their sport practice because they're training their skill all day, every day during the offseason. Right. Um, basketball players especially, uh, I, I can also structure their skills training so, I tell them how to do, how to set up their weeks, the high and the low days, and what to do on those days. So, what I did this past off-season with the basketball players was uh, Monday vertical focus, Wednesday change of direction, and Friday sprinting. Okay. So, so, on Mondays, we did vertical focus. So, it was some kind of squatting movement. Um, our plyometrics, our bounce and hops were more focused on going up up for height. Uh, And in the evening, in the skill practice, which I also designed for them, we would do focus on finishing, getting to the basket and jumping, just a lot of jumping um, with contact, without contact, from further Mm -hmm. out and so on. Um, All, of course, in a live setting. So on Wednesdays, we would would focus on change of direction, which uh, offered the opportunity to work on lateral capabilities of the athlete and also horizontal force production. So I think horizontal producing force, horizontally, especially loading horizontally, uh, is kind of underused in strength training. Um, so we did change of direction work, agility work on Wednesdays. And then in the evening it would be shoot, um, creating shots. So different one-on-one situations, just creating a shot with constraints, of course. So you right. can't go to the basket just creating a shot. Um, on Fridays, we would do sprinting, all-out sprinting, and situational live play in the evening. So I'll make sure that training stays fast, even in the strength phases, and that it works together with, with the, the skills training. Right. So after yeah. the eccentric, isometric, concentric phases, I go into a power phase, power transition phase if you want, uh, which won't go too long for most athletes because I don't see the middle ground in between power zones to matter as much. I think the poles are more important. So really going really heavy, increasing that force output, and increasing that speed output. So speed. So in the power phases, we would just change up the lifts. Uh, we would, or so for example, I would turn a squat, a heavy squat, into a more lightly loaded squat where I tell the athlete. Athlete get as many reps as possible in four seconds. So they start okay. pulling themselves down and up. And right. that increases intense. So they can go against the clock or against each other. So who can okay. get more reps in this time? Who can complete four reps first? Um, and then I would move into the, probably the most fun phase to me, um, the speed phase. So this is where we go all out on plyometrics uh, maximum velocity sprinting and where it all comes together just before they enter
0: their preseasons. Okay. Wow. So um, I find that really interesting. Okay, so you're, you're on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday there. On, on the days in between, what do they do? I know they're still going to be playing their basketball, but do they not see you or they just do recovery day stuff or what do they do? Um, with some athletes, I'm going to have them do
1: um, upper body work. Some athletes are just not... A, uh, are that advance that they don't really need upper body work as much anymore where we would do it just on a saturday but those in between days <clears> Thursday, <throat> tuesday thursday and saturday saturday mostly off um those would be my low days so i would either, either have them do some upper body and core work and mobility work and that would be working together with the skills training where we just do shooting so it's one versus zero no live gameplay just shooting, keep it low intensity so they can be ready for that
0: next high intensity day. Okay. Um. So I heard a lot of a lot of interesting stuff there. The um, the force production, speed, lateral. When you got to lateral, that was one thing. I was um, this has been about a three year little exodus for me away from traditional you know training everything everything that i was doing for the high jump was basically vertical right so i'm trying to change direction quickly go up and um it it came to my mind i for years i've been teaching guys how to use their arms to get off the ground and then how to use their knee drive you know to get up into the air and and then what to do while in the air with those body parts because they can't just be waving around. You know, you you see guys pop their hands back to their hips or reach for their foot or, you know, and they're trying to arch their backs and do all that stuff. And I was, I remember thinking, I go for years, I've, I've been looking at three limbs and I haven't been looking at the takeoff leg because the takeoff leg has a simple job in a lot of ways. It's like, get on the ground fast and then push as hard as you can straight up explosively. And there's not a ton of technique involved in that as far as what direction or, you know, you just, you jump off that leg. <laughs> so it's like, and then I realized I go, well, you know, we're running at the bar at a, in a pretty high velocity and, and making an, an angled turn. Like if you were going to come in and do a reverse layup, right. In basketball, yeah. you know, one of the first dunks I learned how to do was a reverse dunk because it was easier for me as a high jumper. I was just like, yeah. Oh, I'll just run up like this and and do what I do in the high jump. Right. So, yes. you know, but you're carrying that speed up towards the bar. And then I realized there's a component of your speed that's going towards the basket. And there's opponent component that's going this way. And I realized that a lot of jumpers struggle as they carry that speed, cause they'll wash towards the bar. Right. So if I'm leaning this way and I'm going to come up and jump, I'm running this direction and the, you know, all those forces are going to just slingshot me that way. So I've got, I was thinking, you know, I'm training this leg to jump straight up and I'm losing that battle up at the mm-hmm. top towards the bar. So I'm like, first of all, I need to get really good core strength so that I'm not wobbly this way, you know, more oblique work. Right. So mm-hmm. side to side, and I also need to strengthen my, my back so that I can lean away and back from the bar. So I've got to have strong glutes and, you know, low back, erector spinae, all that stuff. I'm like, okay, that's good. But what about the angle of the takeoff? And so what you're talking about, these lateral side to side, I was looking at that going, okay, I get that. And if I'm planning on my right foot and jumping to my left and I'm planting my left foot and jumping to my right, that's quickness side to side. And you can see Basketball uh soccer um, volleyball, even tennis I got to change direction quickly and go get something and hit it or move yeah. or play defense right at lateral is huge NFL is a cornerback or any player on defense you know and the offensive guys change direction quickly, mm-hmm. so I get that, and I was thinking, well, mine's the exact opposite in some ways because i'm going to plant my left foot. Over here and try to jump to the right, like way back against the grain, you know, and that's when I started looking at both uh, backward plyos because I've seen people jump down off of a box and jump backwards up onto the box. And I remember thinking that is not without application to what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. I'm never going to be able to have them at the speed that they're moving plant that foot and jump backwards. That's not going to happen because there's too much momentum. But at the same time, I'm thinking if I'm training that it, it might resist better. You know what I mean? Like it might fight the direction change better. And that same thing with, you know, I've had my guys doing bounding where they'll go basically drive this knee up and across and hit, and then drive this one up and across, go the other way and like that. Right. And I I haven't seen a lot of that. I've seen a little bit of it, but I'm like, I'm not, I know I'm not a pioneer, but I'm, I'm like in that area. I'm like, I find that really what I would, it's gotta be beneficial to train someone to lean all the way in the other direction and then be able to push, you know? So we've started doing some of that. Um, But yeah, when I, I heard that and then The eccentric, concentric, and isometric, this is the first time I've talked about those since I talked with Aaron Washer in the very first Raise the Bar podcast, and he was telling me how important isometrics were, and I told him at that time, which this is now over a year and a half ago, that I had not been trained that way. Over here in the U.S., they told me when I was a freshman at UCLA and I started taking my basic stuff. Inside kinesiology, they said isometrics has no place in athletic training. That was back in 1982. <laughs> so, you know, things have come a long way since then because I know there's a lot of stuff that you guys do with isometrics. Um, so everything, you know, a lot of the things that I learned, I've had to actually unlearn. <laughs> so yeah. I'm kind of envious of you guys, this new, what I'm calling the new school Um now, when you did all this, Dario, did you, you, you sound self-taught and do you have any degrees? Did you get any certifications or anything, or is it just kind of, you're, you're learning on the go and just, and going with it? Uh, actually, like, so I already mentioned my mentor,
1: uh, mm-hmm. put me under his wing, I learned a heck ton from him and all of his, I learned from all of his mistakes that he did in 15 years in the industry which was probably the best thing that could ever happen to me because that was is getting a mentor is like the biggest shortcut that you can could ever take sure um, and apart from that i just read a lot of books i read studies uh, i listen to tons of podcasts i think podcasts are honestly one of the best ways to learn period because you can hear you can listen to people with years and years of experience talk about what they're good at so um and apart from that i'm in university right now i just entered my fifth semester so my third year um and apart from that i don't have any certifications i just did the internship at ravel which i mentioned
0: Mm -hmm. that's it that's awesome so um that when you're finished with your your semesters there you said you're on your fifth one how many do you have to do and and what is the result of that going to be for you um so
1: the bachelor of science you can do it in six semesters so in three years but it's going to take me four because i'm already coaching a lot so and (laughs) i i rather spend my time reading books that actually matter for my job uh, rather than learn study for university because I would say seventy-five percent of what I learned at university is kind of useless. Uh, <laughs> right. And like, and <laughs> here in Austria, <laughs> here in Austria, uh, thing is with sports science, it's like sports science is a is a is a major uh, that you kind of made for athletes. So mm-hmm. if you if you're a kind of a middle ground athlete who is on the edge of going pro and, or like pro but can't fully live off of it, you go study sports science on the side. Okay. So that's what it is here. And the, this, the, whole, the whole curriculum is more structured towards not developing coaches or trainers, but rather for um, getting people ready to take some position in a sports club or a sports management type of position.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's so that, I I remember talking with, uh, I had a, a high jumper on a few months back. Um, it w- I think Rosie talked about that. And then also um, Abraham Vogelsang was a, a decathlete from Norway. And I think he was explaining things kind of the way you did, talking about the way the clubs worked. You know, that was like, there's, like you said, no college, right. No high school, the college is different. So it's like the local clubs. And then when you get good you're you know, there's, there's ways to step up. I think he was the under 20, you know, decathlete, you know, champion in Norway or, you know, in the Scandinavian countries and um, you know, and is continuing to move up the ladder from there, but it's, it's all set up so differently, you know, over here, it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, pre-high school, then high school, college, pro, you know, and then for for some of the sports, you know, other than the major ones, the football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you know, even soccer to its extent, you know, they they can go through that same cycle over here, you know, clubs all the way through high school and high school and then college and pro. And depending on how good they are, they might skip right through the college in a year or two or, or none, depending on what it is. Football, they have to play two years. They don't let them come out early. Yeah. Basketball. Now they're going right away. Right. And then I don't know how it works in soccer. Um, I think you can skip. I'm, I am I want to say you can skip it even here in the States, if you were good enough to go right to the national team, but I'm not sure. I, I haven't followed soccer as much, but um, all right. So, wow, there's, I mean, I got, I have 80 million questions when, when you're doing your, your stuff, this is, this is just from a a practical standpoint. Um, I heard you say that the stuff about, um, an aerobic phase where, uh, lots of reps, right. Lots of reps, full motion, um, your, your circuit training, you know, 30 seconds on 15 seconds off or, you know, whatever it is, I'm sure you can play with that. I know that you can do whatever you want with those parameters. Um, And they're sweating like pigs and they're, you know, uh, my mind right away went to, okay, if we're going that, that many reps, aren't they going to slow down? And isn't that going to be detrimental to speed? And then Mm -hmm. I know you don't stay there that long, right? That was the base training you were talking about. And then you move on into something else. So I was thinking about that. And then I also was thinking about when you mentioned power, I remember just recently talking to some of my athletes. I said, I, you know, I, I kind of forget my training sometimes. I'm like, cause in high jumping, they talk about power versus speed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Power jumpers are slower, you know, and they gather their arms and they just, blam, they just blast off. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Hulk smash, you know, like the stronger, the stronger Hulk gets the faster and higher Hulk jumps, you know? And, um, it's like, And then some guys are just taller and lighter and faster and they just, you know, and they're off the ground and boom. And those are the guys, if you were playing basketball with them, they, you might not be able to jump up off two feet and do anything because they really change their speed into lift, you know, and they got to have some room to do that where the power guy might just grab the ball and
1: (laughs) jump up tomahawk, you know,
0: yeah. yeah one step, no steps. You know, I, I tell this story to my kids sometimes. My Mike Izzy, if you're out there, he was a javelin thrower at at UCLA when I was a freshman. And we were on a basketball court, you know, and, and talking, really. And then a ball comes rolling down and, and bumps into Mike's feet, you know, and we're standing there talking. He reaches down, picks it up, and then just jumped, you know, from the ground, straight up and tomahawk, just like this on the, and I'm standing there watching him, and I'm like, okay. First of all, I'm the high jumper, <laughs> you know. Like, if anybody can do that, I expect it to be me. And secondly, he was like 230. I mean, he was a big dude, you know. He's a javelin thrower. He's like powerful upper body and all that. And I go, dude, how can you do that? And he's like, he goes, hey, I do, you know, I do power cleans with 385. You know, I do squats. Yeah, right. This he starts giving me these numbers, and I'm just like, what? and i'm like look at that you know just ex- you know power just literally i mean he he squatted down deep knee bend like we're talking about didn't wasn't a quick explosive load it was just a power and so you know i started getting my introduction into power speed how do you train for that you know all that and i i keep forgetting power is force times velocity correct mm-hmm. so power is both i mean in a way if you go somebody's more powerful They should be both stronger and moving faster, right? Right. And I can train. I'd like to increase both of those. (laughs) I'd like to get them to be more powerful and be able to move faster, right? So I started thinking of that in, in the way that my brain has been thinking about power versus speed forever. And as far as a high jumper is concerned, and I remember thinking, well, wait, you know, power. And these are both kind of related and on the same spectrum. You know, you got to find out how, yep. to, how to maximize these. Right. So, um, and then with that, here's my next question. I'm sorry. Oh. I, my brain, no, sorts right. my brain sorts things in weird ways. So when we're, we're talking about power and my mind, I put in my power concepts, I put, okay, squats, lunges, step-ups, hand clean, snatch, push press, you know, anything that's explosive using both legs, you know, um, is there anything I missed on that? I like to do forward and back lunges. I like tons of step-up work on single leg, you know? So most of those I just listed were two legs, except for the lunges and the step-ups, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, deadlifts. Now, I was, I'm not a big deadlift guy. At UCLA, we didn't do deadlifts, but I understand them. I have done them, and I see them as almost like a squat variant, basically, right? I mean, it's not that much different. Yeah, It's a way of doing a squat where you don't have to put the weight on your back and, you know, balance and do all that stuff and put that weight on your spine where you can just grab down with your arms this way. In some ways it it would seem like, you know, maybe I should have done that more. My back would bug me less. But um you got the two-legged and the single-legged power lifts. Those are that's what I think of as power. So forgive me if it doesn't match up with with your definitions. But then I would go, okay, those are my power lifts. And my first question is I know inherently I can't do all of those. Or should I be doing all of those? Like when you do your power, do they do, do you pick one of those and kill them on it? Or do you, you know, put in a mix of those? How does that, how does that work with you in your training? Uh, So in my training, uh, when I started out,
1: I used to be a big, let's train for, if you want want to be powerful, let's train for power. Uh, But as I have learned more and tried out a few, different things and saw the results from those uh came to the conclusion also talking to other coaches about it and having discussions is if we look at power the way it's defined in biomechanics um, force times velocity or um work divided by time it's just a physics measurement really so it's nothing it's nothing substantial real that you can uh, harness so if we so basically If we want to be powerful, we have to be strong and fast, as you have said, but doing an exercise that displays power, that just because it—it just because we produce peak power, so to speak, measurable peak power doesn't mean we're getting the most powerful that we can be right. So it, so I've come to, so basically I've come to really just working the pulse. So max force and max speed and the power it will it will you will put everything together by yourself just by doing plyometrics and um, training your skill jumping high or playing your sport so for my power work what i if i if i'm going to use power work so using around 30 to 70% of 1rm it's really just going to be to potentiate an athlete for either a training session a sports session that is coming up the same day or the day after so before game day I call them um, game prep lifts so we're just gonna come in do maybe two sets of two of a bandit trap bar deadlift together with some plyometric just to get the nervous system firing and get them ready for the next day so if I want to develop a powerful guy I'm gonna make him lift heavy and I'm gonna do him tons of And adding to
0: um maybe just let me ask you are you a speed jumper i was more of a power guy um but i'm i'm right now when i'm looking internationally at most of the jumpers both men and women i see a preponderance of speed what i would call someone running really fast and changing it into lift as a narrow to hips the, right now yeah, hip, yes yes yeah, tall thin a lot of single armors, you know, they run up and this arm goes up, and so they're generating force with the backside arm and the drive knee only. This mm-hmm. arm just makes them taller, you know, and yeah. some of them are already six five, and so when they get this arm up here, they're even like seven feet taller. Center mass is way higher, right? So yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, talking about the the compound lifts. Um, mm-hmm. So for every athlete, the way I start training athletes is I. I don't really have a formal assessment the way it's taught in schools or in, in, in certifications or like anything like that. I basically start an athlete training. And from the first training session, I see what they, where they at. So let's say this is the whole progression timeline of an athlete. So if I get an athlete and he's here, he's going to be doing these type of lifts. If, if he's here, he's going to be doing the easier lifts. So a goblet. So you might, if he's a super novice, Start off with a goblet squat, a sing, a hand supported single leg RDL with a dumbbell. Right. And if we advanced, we're gonna move to more advanced versions. And depending on their body structure, this is how I individualize the most. I'm gonna um, select their exercises. So I'm not gonna deadlift any narrow, thin, springy guy because it they just don't have the space in their pelvis to hinge back that far. So okay. If, so if you throw in. If you have a super springy, narrow guy, so like um, narrow, narrow rib cage and an even narrower pel- pelvis, and you're gonna make him do deadlifts, you're just gonna compress the the heck out of his lower back, and that that's when the low back issues might start turning. Right, movement. right, okay. Um, so like narrow, springy guys, I always have them squat, um, front loaded with their heels elevated. Not always, yeah. of course. There's times where we wanna you want to compress them a little bit more, so, like, get a good load on the bar just to drive some systemic, um, just to just to make the organism really experience a lot of force in a way that right. they could in any other setting. So a back squat will be better to get someone to really experience a lot of
0: force on their system. Well, you can do more with the back squat just because of the loading, right? If you got it behind your yeah. neck as opposed to in front because it's harder to balance, right? So. Right. Back squats can be easier. Now that the foot elevation thing is another one. Um, uh, you know, for a long time, I remember even when I was a, a Bruin at UCLA, we were, we weren't elevating the feet. Like lots of times is come down and, and make sure your feet are flat. And now I'm seeing a preponderance of work with the slant boards, you know, yeah. put your heels up on whatever. And, you know, Absolutely. it's, it's funny for me because my calves from the time i was a kid you know my my gastrocs and my you know um soleus muscles for whatever reason were always just badass like i've got really good calves for whatever reason and my mom used to when i was a kid she used to stand me in the corner when i was being bad and i remember she came over one time and she goes why are you standing on your toes and i was like what do you mean you know she goes you're standing on your toes so i was like standing way up on my toes in the corner you know, and I think that's where my calf started or whatever, when I was like five, but um, I remember it was difficult for me to go flat footed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they were saying stay on with your heels on the ground. And I was like, I can't even balance doing that. You know, I felt awkward. And yeah. now it's like, no, no, you're, you you could be with your, your heels way up here, or, you know, even without them, I don't, I don't even think I need a slant board. You know, I would just get up on my toes and, and drop down and do that. So, mm-hmm what is the i guess like i said i got a million questions um we got to be careful cuz we'd be sitting here for 3 hours i get in trouble you get in trouble um i get in trouble with my wife okay um yeah. the um <laughs> is there yeah right what are you doing you talking to some guy in america what for um what's what is the deal with the just really quickly as a side, now that we're on this side tangent, what, what is the difference between the heels elevated and flat when it comes to power and, you know, how it's affecting training? What is the importance of that? So basically, uh, before we want to talk about that, we got to classify
1: what is a squat and what is a hinge. So okay. a, squat is a hinge, let's start with that. A hinge is the pelvis moving back in space horizontally. Okay. If you want to, and then we have the squat, which is the opposite. It's the pelvis moving just vertically in space. Right. So the problem with a lot of people squatting is that they do squats flat footed. Even if they front load, they can't get their pelvis to just move vertically. This is how we get the perfect, the quote unquote, perfect squatty pattern. Okay. So, athletic performance, if you want to uh, minimize the negative drawbacks, or the shape changes that come from really, really heavy squatting or having compensations within your um, lifts is that we want to make the lift as true to the lift as possible. So if I want to squat someone, I want to make it squatty. If I want to hinge someone, I want to make it hingy. So if I want to make, so like there's a, like from all the athletes I ever trained, there's probably like, I don't know, three or so that could do a flat-footed vertical squat. So it's really just a small percentage of the population that can do a perfect vertical squatty squat with feet. So if we elevate the heels, we can take that ankle mobility um, out of the equation and we can allow them to just drop their pelvis straight down, which will make squat squatty because they can also keep an upright torso like it is in jumping, for example.
0: Right, right.
1: So, um, but on the flip side of that, if someone has has problems hinging, which is sometimes the case with uh, with narrow bouncy guys, like you can see them in, in high jump for um, especially, they will have, we can do the opposite. So we can elevate their forefoot in order to put their hip into more internal rotation to start with. So they can have a more,
0: uh, have an easier time Sitting the pelvis back in space. Okay, so you'd actually elevate their toes and drop their heels down as they're doing uh, a lift. I just
1: yeah, I just put the slant board or like a little squat block. I just put them under the forefoot.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. So now uh I I get the squatty movement, and you're saying to go straight up and down. What what about the hinge? I'm I'm not clear on the hinge. What is what is a hinging type uh exercise? And why, why do they need to be doing a hinge as opposed to a, a squatty move? So
1: a squatty move is inherently going to be more knee dominant. So it's going to load the quads more. Okay. If you want to load the posterior chain, we're going to want to do hingey movements. So hinges. Um, so for a hinge, the most important thing is that we, and for also for a squat, is that we get the hips to extend before the knees. So we want to delay knee extension. That is going to take off That is, first of all, going to optimize the kinetic chain and the the sequence of the kinetic chain to transfer forces from the hips to the knees, to the ankles, into the ground. And what it's also going to do, especially that that is the case with many basketball players um, who have this issue that their knees extend too early in the gait cycle, so in sprinting and jumping um, and just walking for that sake, they have knee problems because their knee extends too early. It does too... Too much work in comparison to the hip and that's when the patellar starts to pop up
0: okay so what is a, a i'm still i'm i'm hearing it but i'm not getting a visual so the the squatty movement you know if i'm you have me doing a squat this mm-hmm. way and i'm up on my heels right i'm coming up and down this way yep. if i'm doing the back squat hands behind here i'm up on my toes you can't see them down here yeah. then when this posterior chain i had this described to me by um a a sports uh physical therapist here too and and I, it's the newer terminology i'm i'm terrible at it so i don't understand posterior chain and then the when you're talking about the hips moving before the knees i'm i'm like this is super fascinating so i just want to make sure i understand it so what kind of a lift would we be doing? Is it still a squat just done a different way or is it a completely oh. different kind of exercise? Sorry, I, I forgot to answer that question.
1: Uh, so for posterior chain, we can do um, deadlifts, which are going to be more hip dominant. Um, hip deadlifts, um, Romanian deadlifts, uh, uh, hip thrusts. We can do
0: uh, glute ham raises. Um what I would call a glute push, like when you're laying on your back and you're thrusting your hips up with your your feet locked on the ground, right? You've got to like exactly. go yeah, that's
1: a hip thrust. That's a hip thrust. Yeah, again. so and that works glutes especially, and like deadlifts and RDLs are gonna work the also the glutes, um, but
0: also the hamstrings especially. Right, right. I would I call those for me some of those I'm I'm calling posterior auxiliary work, like, but I I understand they can be they're they're super powerful moves also. This is, this is helping me resort. Okay. So, for, me, so, yeah, for me, like you said, the hips are slight, are moving that way. And mm-hmm. like you said, if I'm doing that correctly, I'm not really moving much at the knees a little yeah. bit, but I'm the, the movement is hips. Cause I'm trying to move my hips to get my hips that's higher. It. Right. So that's when I have a guy on their back, we're, I call that pit work, but we'll lay horizontally and I'll have mm-hmm. them push their, their hips up, you know, with their, Sometimes I have them laying flat and I'll have them try to push their hips up, which you get very little movement, but you can, you know, get a little erector spinae or whatever. And then I'll have them bring their feet into where their knees are and their hips come up. And I say, bring your feet all the way next to your butt. And their hips go way up, right. They're pushed through there. And we'll do that with two legs and one leg. And then, you know, I can do the other stuff like you're talking about with the barbell or dumbbells, a medicine ball, whatever kind of resistance, a band, you know, have them push their hips up. So that is working posterior chain So you're calling. And that the definition of posterior chain is what exactly? Glutes. So of course the back. So it's, you're always going to
1: work the whole system. <coughs> if if you apply to the <coughs> body if you do the exercises the correct way. But if you're talking posterior chain, uh, it's basically the glutes. For the lower body is the glutes the hamstrings and the calves so one. i set up my training week is i will most of the times have a knee. so for the main lift i will have a knee dominant day and a hip dominant day so for the knee dominant day i'm going to use the squatting movement as the main lift and for the hip dominant day i'm either going to use a deadlift or some type of single leg hinge variation and i'm gonna i'm gonna load it really really heavy i don't have auxiliary work like that i go big on on split squats i go big on single leg hinges single leg RDLs, and i go yeah
0: i go big on hip thrusts if i'm gonna okay um just as a curiosity i mentioned to you before i i have a thing and and this is not trained and this is this is me i'm like I said, and I, we're, we've been talking for close to an hour now. And if you're still with us, this is uh raise the bar with Troy Haynes. This is my guest, Dario Saisan from uh, Vienna. Um, and he's, we're talking about uh, sports training and, um, you know, explosive sports training where uh, Dario is working with basketball players. And I'm assuming you, you, you do get some soccer, soccer, basketball. Yeah. You
1: know? Soccer, basketball, volleyball, uh I also had a had an MMA fighter once, and also a model, like a female model, right? Yeah. How
0: about uh, any tennis, <laughs> anything like that? Uh no, no tennis. No tennis no. players. Tennis is a slow to adjust sport, but yeah, I've I've been seeing there are some that are starting to see the value of the agility stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a sport where they just want to go hit the ball for three hours straight, right? So it's hard to train them after that; <laughs> they're gonna be tired. But, uh, um. Okay so anyway getting getting back to where we're going I was you know all this stuff that I'm doing and especially here on raise the bar is is the peak behind the curtain so um and Barbara Bachaka who is my my strong right hand who helps me do a lot of stuff with Instagram and um you know dealing with uh the the microcosm of things that I don't understand on the internet <laughs> We're, we're going through and, uh, she calls people that don't show what they do on their, uh, feeds or doesn't reveal what they do in their training. She calls them gatekeepers. So, uh, you know, people that uh, I'm always the one trying to look behind the curtain. I'm like, okay, this one girl I posted on my site the other day, she's 15 or 16 years old now, um, a tall leggy. You know, girl from Poland, she jumped five, nine and a quarter, like a 176 at 16, which over here would have just destroyed the state meet, you know, and and she would have won it as a sophomore, probably at at 15 or 16 over here, having two more years to jump. Right. And I'm watching that going, okay, how in the world can this little, you know, thing jump that high? And I'm watching her technique, which is outrageously good, but I'm like, I understand the technique part. I can train all of that. I'm like, she's got to be doing something else. Right. And I'm like, there's nothing else on her feet. And I'm not calling her a gatekeeper, but I'm saying, you know, when I look at these coaches, some people are very open and here's what we're doing. And a lot of people are like, Nope, I've got my little secret and you're never going to find out. I'm not writing it down in any book anywhere. And it's just going to be the people that come to train with me. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm that guy that's like, I want to look behind the curtain. <laughs> I want to know what it is that you're doing that's, you know, creating success. So, you know, a lot of my stuff has been, like you're saying, it's it's trial and error because there's no textbook over here on how to take someone, you know, say young and, you know, the, the textbook over here also says you can't start lifting weights with young kids, until they're, you know, what, 14 or 15. Right. Mm -hmm. So here in the States, traditionally, they don't lift all the way through middle school. So when they get into high school as a ninth grader, when they're 14, then they can start getting in the weight room. Right. So we've got all these things going and then like, okay, how am I going to train them to get to the level where they can do the really high explosive stuff? Because I think sometimes some people go power too early you know, they're not ready for it and they'll, they'll get hurt. You know, they're not really in the kind of shape where they can do heavy plyometrics, the heavy power, you know, it's, they're not ready for it yet. So we're going along that line. And then you and I were talking, I said, well, I want to do uh full range of motion. I'd like to do the, the power work, which I was calling power, cleans, step-ups, you know, squats, lunges, deadlifts. We put all those in there, snatch, right. Um, and now I, you're making me think. I'm gonna go back and go. Okay, which ones of these are these all knee dominant? Like every one of those that I listed, are those pretty much knee dominant? Squats, uh, step ups, lunges, step, up, step ups, step, uh, step ups,
1: big up. up, hip, hip, hip dominance. So there's a study that showed, uh, like it was a hypertrophy study that showed that step ups are one of the best, one of the best exercises at activating the glutes. So step ups hip dominant. The, the a lunge or a a split squat, depending on how you do it, can either be knee or hip dominant. Right, right, right. With the depending
0: on the length of the step. Right. If right, it's a right, short right. step, you get your knee way out in front, and if it's a long step, your and knees. Upright behind. torso. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Upright torso, short step, knee over the toe. It's more knee dominant. It's always. Right. It's not completely knee dominant. It's always a spectrum. You're always also using your hip. Right. Uh, right. If you're gonna. I have a long step, lean forward, um, knee over the over the ankle. It's gonna be more hip dominant. Um RDL okay. lifts all hip dominant. Um, and then any squatting movement is gonna be
0: um uh, knee dominant. Okay. So uh, you know, going back through that, I'm I this is great because I'm <laughs> It's I'm gonna be taking I'm taking notes and I can go back and watch this anytime, but I'm going through and going, okay. Then, so there's the the range of motion deal. I was always taught full range of motion is better, right? If you can, you want to train the, the whole fiber throughout the length of motion. So a full squat all the way down, all the way up. But when we started doing squats, you say they're like, well, you, you want to make sure you wrap your knees and you want to be careful about going full range of motion a lot because you can do knee damage, right? You can pull that patella tendon or the patella back into the knee and blah, blah, blah. And then now I'm looking at the knees over toes guy and he's like, you need to go all the way down, you know? So it's like, you've got both sides of that argument and I've had people almost yelling at me from both sides, you know? So I'm like, okay. But as far as from what I understand, full range of motion to me means the longer the stretch I get on the muscle, when I can train all of the fibers all the way through the range of motion, that's going to increase power and speed, right? They should be able to get them, depending on how I'm moving now. I know we got to throw that in there. If I'm I'm moving slowly through the full range of motion, maybe I don't produce more speed, but I will strengthen the fibers throughout the full range, right? And then ideally, um, but again, if we're doing it fast at the end, okay. So I was taught full range first during the base, half squats, say half range to the middle, and getting heavier. And then like those quarter jump squats, like I remember um, Sotomayor, Javier Sotomayor, the world record holder in the high jump came right after he broke the record over here to the States and jumped in a meet. And I got to jump against him at at UCLA. It was great. And he jumped out of this world. He jumped seven to eight and was over it by like six inches. Some of the most amazing jumps I've ever seen. And he he was training there during the week. And I had some of the guys said they'd seen him train. And he said he was doing repeat jump squats with like 500 pounds, you know, and I'm going, those had to be super quick, like quarter jump squats, right? Like, boom, 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 boom. But I'm picturing 500 pounds on my back trying to do quarter squats. I'm like, okay, he's really, really strong, obviously. So, you know, my brain has since lumped that into full range, lighter weights, you know, because you can't go... And you got to be really, really strong to take 500 pounds and go all the way down there and all the way back up. Right. So you go full range, half range, quarter range from light to heavy and the sets change, right? The volumes from high to low. That's the way my brain's been sorting for a long time. So when I start hearing this stuff, uh, just recently, I started adding in the lateral stuff we we're talking about, the plyos. And then I was like, I, I've seen a move I and mean, you, I really interested to hear what you have to say on this a move towards single leg stuff like sure. single leg squats. I've been seeing a lot of pistol squats, I've been seeing the, the knees over toes guy, you know, with those things where you're standing up on three plates, you know, and dropping down this way to the front, mm-hmm. you know, and then I've seen people go on a box and drop way down below, right. Come back up on a single leg. And I've seen single leg. Now, um, I've seen single leg cleans, I've seen single leg deadlifts, right? And so, uh, what? Just jumping ahead, what is the importance of that? And for my mind, I think sport specificity, right? Because in basketball, you can jump off off two legs and dunk, and in volleyball, it's a, a requirement. But in track and field, very little work is done with both legs at the same time, right? So, from a sports specificity viewpoint, I'm thinking. I need to graduate towards more and more single leg stuff as I'm getting closer to competition. So, um, the way I see it,
1: so I'm gonna tackle those uh, single leg versus bi- double leg, mm-hmm. full range versus partial range. So, uh, let me talk about the unilateral versus bilateral first. Okay. So, for so bilateral work also transfers to single leg movements so it's really just about the organism and the forces that you're exposed it to right if and if we so that's the first point and the second point is um if you look at a single leg versus a double leg squat so if you do a single leg movement so let's say you you can move 100 kilos on a double leg squat. Well, you can move probably around 70 or 75 kilos on a single leg squat. So that's because you're just using one leg, but you're still using the same upper body, the same back, the same erector spinae. Right, right, right. So if we look at a single leg versus a double leg squat, in relation, if you load both of them up to 90% of your one rep max, the single leg squat is gonna be more forceful because in relation to the double leg squat, it you're moving more weight on one leg.
0: On that particular leg, yeah, because you're sharing the load on the on the double leg, right? And then right, single right. leg. Okay, so you can do more. Good. Good to know. Right. So the way my training
1: is designed is uh around I have around seventy, seventy-five percent single leg work because because of um, said reasons. Um, and I'm going to go double leg if I'm looking for outputs. So, and it's the same thing with plyos. So not, literally 80% of my plyos are uni- unilateral because you're right. moving on one leg basically all the time in sports. The only time yes. I'm going to do two legs is if I'm jumping off two legs or if I'm standing there before I'm going to move. So double leg work is really, in my in my eyes, a, w- a way to get maximum outputs. So it's depth jumps from a box is a maximum output. It's really like, like Joel Smith calls him, um, that nitro, um, nitroglycerin, mm-hmm. oxidite. Um, so you can really supercharge the body with double leg work. And it's yes. the same for double leg squats in the, in the whole off season. I've moved from single leg work to double leg work. So my, my strength phases the eccentric isometric concentric are mostly single leg only in it's only in, in the at the end of the concentric phase where i start to really in, um, involve some heavy bilateral squats where i'm really looking for outputs and really pushing the envelope with that maximum force output um and it's really close to the season where i start doing some bilateral plyos so i can really get the whole system going and get maximum power outputs really right right weighted. Couldn't replicate it in this sport. You're never gonna get in in basketball. Most of your actions are sub maximal. they are really very uh, a small number of ma- really true maximal jumps, and you're always out of breath. So no jump is truly gonna be maximal like that, right? So bilateral work is really getting that pure power or or pure power output. Really, um, so that's for single leg versus double leg in my eyes. And full range versus partial range. I think both have their place. Both just have um, both are just tools. So if we're looking for maximum strength, we're looking for high muscular tension and really high rates of neural firing. So high rates of neural firing, we're gonna get in both types of work, um, in partial and in full range. But the high muscular tension, we're really most we're gonna get it at long muscle lengths so if we have a high load on ourselves at a really long muscle length we're going to get the most muscular tension we can get in a squat for example right and there have been studies um so they looked at partial versus um full range and the full range squats did a good job at at increasing strength in all ranges of motion even the top ranges of motion Mm -hmm. but partial squats they were they only produced improvements in the ranges that were trained, so right. so um, training partial range is gonna overload the top ranges of motion more than training full range. But if no. it, but if the purpose of strength training is getting generally more strong, generally stronger, then we're gonna use full range. So if I'm if I want to get someone stronger, I'm gonna use full range squats, full range um rdls full range split squats with them yeah and as Makes you sense. said when you get when you move to a more specific um preparation periods closer to competition or you want to prime someone for um sorry they're a power jumper and they do really well if they squat a lot or like they they just feel they get 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 a good general feeling from heavy lifts yeah and i'm gonna use a partial lift just to get that nervous system and hormonal response with them um, right before the competition because they like it. And that's what their body likes.
0: Right. Oh, that's, that's another fascinating area for me too, is the, the, uh, the day before the meet, you know, the day, the day before the meet, the day of the meet, can you lift the day? Of the you know, can you lift a little bit? Um, you know, I, I remember even back in 1986, one of my coaches was talking about, let's do some squats, but let's, we'll go light and we'll go fast and we'll be done, but mostly to get that neuromuscular firing, like you're talking about, and then so
1: go. ready. For yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a great topic. We have to do that another time. Um, then the, so the full range, um, I like that, that, and that, that, discussion there full range is important obviously you're getting the full stretch of the muscle then the short range like you're saying as a primer and i can do a lot of uh you know the short range of muscle movement the advantage there is i can do more weight because i'm not going to go very far right i'm going to do a you know a quarter jump squat is not really that deep and the idea there is it is very sport specific in the high jump if my goal is to get on and off that leg quickly. So I don't want to have the knee bend a lot. I want, it's going to flex. You know, if I, if I put my foot out on the ground and it looks the way some people do at takeoff is they're leaning back like this, you know, from their heel strike all the way up through their bodies, a straight line Yeah, foot looks like it's locked at the knee when it hits. But as I'm coming forward, I'm just stepping through. So it, it does bend. And then come up off of there, you know, but the, the range of motion through there from a zero at leg, you know, knee lock to bend and then extend back to zero. We'd mm-hmm. like that in, in my thought process to be as limited as possible or, or I don't know that I don't know if you've seen any of the biomechanical analysis where they'll they'll show a guy throw a stick at the ground for the high jump and it, it hits and the stick is straight. So it hits and it bounces and it goes up and it starts to rotate just like the high mm-hmm. jumpers do. I mean, okay. literally, I,
1: you know, that sounds
0: interesting. But it is interesting, but, and a lot of people use that to say, well, you don't really need to use your hips or anything. You just need to hit this right takeoff angle and you'll flip around. I'm like, well, there's mm-hmm. a lot of problems with that analogy for me because the stick doesn't have joints that mm-hmm. wobble, you know? So first of all, our stick is not a perfect biomechanical stick. Secondly, once I'm off the ground, I don't want to stay long because I'm going to spin slower. You know, if I can shorten the body in the air, the way they bring their arms back and they bend their knees up and they throw their heads back and they get into that arch position, which you see behind me on the raise the bar yeah. thing, that will spin quicker. Right. Once yeah. they're in the air. So it's like but as far as getting off the ground and maximizing your your vertical, you know, force and your your center mass being as high as possible and that quickness of changing the direction to the boom. Like everybody talks about, you know, it's like one, two, three, boom, 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 I'm going to get off the ground quick. I don't want to go bump, 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 bump. you know, that long, low lamb. When I do that, that's again, the difference between a power and a speed. Somebody who's more powerful might stick that leg out there and generate a lot of force and change direction and and then come up out of it because they can do it you know, they're strong enough. Whereas a speed guy, like you're saying, if you take a skinny guy down there and their, their leg goes down there, they're not going to come out. You know, just, they can't, they can't generate that, that kind of force. So I'm thinking of that as a sports spe- specific kind of thing towards the end as a finisher. Wow. Dario, you're, you've, you've overloaded my brain. I think it's going to explode. I hope you took some notes. <laughs> no, absolutely. Dude. This is, um, this is the kind of stuff that just, you know, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm one of those guys, number one, I'm, I'm willing to experiment. Number two, I'm willing to be taught. And number, number three, I'm just like, I I've always learned this way for whatever reason, you know um, from the beginning, you know, from having coaches that you trust where you're just like, Oh, What's the workout today? You know, and they do the thinking, right? They go, we're going to do this and this and this and this. That's great. And you go along and you do that. And when you have good results, you're like, boom. And then sometimes I've gone through periods where I didn't have a coach. So now I'm like, okay, I'm training myself. What should I do? <laughs> you know, it's like, I remember what I was taught. And then sometimes I didn't always agree with what we were doing, but I did it. And so I'm a tinkerer, right? I start tinkering with things. And, you know, the, the lab is out there on the track and, you know, you, you can see the results and how they look as they're going up into the air. And then, you know, you get the test back and the, the test is competitions, you know, how did they do? And, yeah. you know, you can see the results lots of times, you know. Um, all right. Well, the first thing I was thinking too, is I got to, I got to travel to Vienna, come <laughs> see you at, at work. And uh, secondly, we got to do this again, man. This is, th- there's so many things that I want to talk about. Um, yeah. I keep bringing up on here on raise the bar that uh, not only are we looking at uh, coaches, athletes, um, trainers uh, like Dario here, um, you know, that are uh, pushing the envelope and what they're doing, um, having success in many different ventures and sports and levels Um also, I want to, you know, branch out into nutrition, how nutrition affects, you know, what you're talking about, you know, do you guys, you know, get into that with your athletes? I'm, I would be willing to assume that you are because if they're training at these high levels and they have to be eating, you know, well, right. Correctly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure. And that's a, a huge area over here. You know, I, I told this story to someone the other day. I said, well, you know, I, when I first got to UCLA, I was a six, three. So what, like I was, a, I don't even know what that is in meters. I should, um, 199.
1: 199, um one ninety nine one ninety
0: 199 sorry. 91. Yeah. Um, I'm about six, three and I was, you know, 180 pounds, whatever that is kilo wise. So, you know, I, and I was, uh, I, I always thought I was skinny, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I my brain, when I heard the word skinny, when I was a kid, skinny was equated to weak. So I was always like, I didn't like being a skinny kid. You know, I wanted to put on some weight and, and do that. Well, I couldn't do that in high school to save my life. You know, if I ate everything in the room, I was still going to be 180 pounds, you know, and it just wasn't any way around it. I could get stronger and all that, but I was not a bulk builder. And then One year of college, I'm six, three and a half now, and I'm 195. I put on 15 pounds that freshman year, and I didn't get any really that much stronger. I just kind of stepped into my man body a little bit. And then, you know, I had to undergo a corresponding change in power. My first year there, I jumped terribly. I was, uh, you know, I jumped two meters 10 in high school. And I think the best jump I had my freshman year was maybe 207. Like I went down and I couldn't get off the ground. I was heavier. So my strength to weight ratio dropped. I didn't, I didn't train, you know, anywhere near as hard as I needed to, I don't think. And so um, this, my second year I got, you know, my full squats were up over 400 pounds. I did, uh, you know, hang cleans at 285. I did, I benched 308. I mean, I got strong. And then that was the first year I jumped 218. You know, I had just went way the other direction. 11 centimeter improvement over the bad year but even a big improvement from you know my best in high school so it was like okay that is important but i also had the two jumpers that were with me god bless them del davis seven seven and a quarter jumper lee balkan you know at the time was seven four I ended up jumping six or seven also and these are great high jumpers and they were always telling me you are too they didn't say fat because <laughs> i wasn't fat you're too heavy you know, I was too heavy. They were, you know, they were sticks compared to me, you know. So they're always like, you gotta you gotta lose weight somehow. And I I would have no clue how to do that. So I I literally, even though I was at 195, I starved myself in some ways. Like I I didn't eat any fat, if I remember right. I was eating fruit and I'd eat my protein and I love pasta and I'd do all that. And I was in that mode where I would burn everything. And then we were, I was fortunate enough, you know, in the UCLA kinesiology, which they don't, no longer have that department, but at the time it was one of the tops in the States for sure. And maybe in the world, I don't know, they had great lecturers and all that, but we had those tanks, those water weighing tanks. So they would do the real official, you know, thing. And we were happily, you know, led down that road as lab rats. They were just like, let's throw them in the water and see what their body fat is. You know? And I was like, I got in that thing and I just went, boom right to the bottom. I mean, I was just sitting on the thing and I'm looking up at the top and I, I hadn't even let my air out yet. I'm, I let my air out and I'm sitting on the bottom of the tank and they come out and they go, your body fat's 2.86%. And I'm like, and I weigh 195 pounds, right? I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't trying to be, you know, that light, but it was like, I was trying to be light so I could get off the ground. Right and that, I I we talked about Jumpman Westner you and I before we started but uh when I interviewed the Jumpman he's like he feels real comfortable at 205 like he wants to be heavier and more explosive and this I couldn't have dunked from the free throw line in my life and he's you know at 205 he's I've seen some of the videos he's a couple inches behind the takeoff uh, from the free throw line and able to dunk so I'm just like you know the strength you know, Sorry, do so you know how high he jumps, high jump? Yeah, he's jumped five and a quarter, which is two, I want to say 225 or 226. He's up there because the Olympic trial height was, the A standard was seven, five and a quarter, I think. And then the B standard was down at like 220, like seven, two and a half. So yeah, he, I know he hit the higher standard and he made it to the final. In 2021, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't make the team. So, uh, yeah. But he's five and a quarter, which I think. Let's see, two twenty is two and a half. Two twenty five is four and a half. So maybe it's like two twenty eight or something. Like that, I forget. But anyway, my metrics are terrible. Yeah, <laughs> everybody would laugh because I mean, I've been I've been a high jumper and a coach for a long time. But in the states, we grew up with the King James, so everything was just. Even if they were measuring it in metric, it's like they didn't even trust us as kids to know what that was. So that was just six, four, six, 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 eight. We went up two inches at a time. And I didn't, even when I was at UCLA, I remember they would just go, oh, it's at six, eight. And then later on, I'd see the results and it would be, you know, 206 or whatever that was. Cause I remember the, the, when you go by fives, it was two meters was six six and three quarters, two oh five, six eight and three quarters, two ten was six ten and three quarters, two fifteen was seven feet and a half inch, you know, two twenty was seven, two and a half. So it wasn't always exact, and they didn't bother to tell us, they would just move it up, you know. And I'm pretty sure they were just going by the five centimeter protocol. So I wasn't always exactly sure what it was. Like when I jumped seven, two. They didn't go 215 and 220 because it didn't measure out as seven, two and a half. It was seven, two. So that means it was, you know, what, 218, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Um. Well, hey, Dario, this has been a blast, dude. I'm so stoked that you answered me back. You're very gracious and uh, giving and sharing of both your time, your energy, your expertise. I'm super impressed with you as, as a person, the fact that you have taught yourself all this stuff, the stuff that I see on your feed is amazing, high quality. I see you working, I see other people working, doing high quality stuff. And uh, man, just God bless you. Great work. I hope, you know, the best for you. Um, you're up to 20,000, what, 21,000 followers here on Instagram and growing daily, I'm sure. Um, I love to do any kind of collaboration. So put it in there, let it rattle around. Let me, let me know if there's any ideas that you come up with. Uh, I'd love to work with you, learn from you, um, experiment with you on athletes <laughs> with their knowledge, of course, and uh, you know, continue to grow. That's I. I am not a gatekeeper. I am Mr. Curious. And I want to know how to get my athletes to jump, you know higher faster farther all those things and whatever's gonna get them there I'm gonna use it so you you can count on that and if you ever write the uh the manual, I'll be the first one to buy it <laughs> <For>
1: sure <laughs> yeah thanks troy I really enjoy talking to you and seeing your side of the world uh and I must say like seven two is impressive seven thank jumping.
0: you thank you yeah this is a Long time ago, I jumped uh, 222, which was seven, three and a half, put me at the uh, number four on the all-time list. Those two guys I just listed, Dell and Lee, Dell was number one, Lee Mm -hmm. was number two. Uh, I think a guy named Rory Katenik was number three. And then there's me. And I actually got a step in front of Dwight Stones, who was one of the great American jumpers of all time, but he only jumped at UCLA for one year. So Mm -hmm. he jumped seven, three as a freshman, then he left. And so I was able to sneak by him. Um, and then Rory Katinick the number three guy actually held my high school record. He, he went to Milliken like I did. So I actually ended up breaking his record, which had recently been broken by a buddy of mine. So it went Katinick to my buddy, Dave Wicker to me. So those are my claims to fame, but, uh, I never made it to the Olympic trials, which was a goal and never made it onto Olympic team, which was a goal. So now I'm like, I would love to get someone to jump that high, you know? So well, hey, they, if, if they you your fire be
1: for being a coach, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wish, I wish I would have jump known the stuff that I know now when I was jumping for sure. Sure. All right, sir. Hey, Dario, best of luck, man. We'll talk soon for sure. For I'll be sure. following your work. All right. Thank you. Right. Have a nice evening. You too.